0: fellowship bible church and thank you once again for joining us for church online at home I, I i pray that you are ready to worship that you've already been singing with us throughout these songs and, and in this service and i pray that now you're ready for the word this is not ideal. This isn't how any of us want to gather. Uh, but many of you know that we've had over 30 um, positive COVID cases. Most of those people that have had symptoms, and also most of those people that have already recovered and um, and are getting better. And so, at, at this point, as I'm recording this, there are a couple of people that still have COVID. They're still recovering. Um, for the most part, people have had lighter symptoms, and people are doing well. We do have a few people that we want to continue to be in prayer for. And if we have anybody that has really. Seen serious symptoms or serious concerns, we'll we'll make you aware of how you can specifically be praying. But for now, continue to pray for those that are sick and those that are in families that are exposed and may be developing symptoms even now. We wanted to do one more week online to be safe and to make sure that when we're back in person on January 9th, we've made it through this initial stretch of of spread within our families. And so the plan is um, for right now to Meet in person on January 9th, but it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, you know we still don't have access to our sanctuary, and we're still waiting on some insurance processes to, to take place with that. Um, so we'll continue to worship in the youth group. But starting on January 9th, for at least the month of January, we are going to be worshiping in three different services. Yes, that that seems like a lot but uh, the last two services of the year that we had in the youth room were packed, and that definitely contributed to the fact that we've had um, some people that have developed COVID after those services. And so we want to be a little bit more careful, space the chairs out a little bit more, because also it was just hard to get in and out of those services when we had that many people in. So we'll have three services starting this Sunday, January 9th. They will be at 8.30, 9.45 and 11 o'clock. So that's different than our normal worship times that we've had for some time. 9.15 and 10.30 is normal. We are not doing either of those right now. So it's a big change. 8.30, 9.45, and 11 o'clock. Each of those are going to be one-hour services with 15 minutes in between um, the services. So 8.30 to 9.30, 9.45 to 10.45, and then 11 to 12. We will offer nursery and kids ministry in the second two services, the 945 and the 11 o'clock, not during 830. Uh, We will offer the live stream at 11 o'clock only. Uh, We'll offer offer overflow in the gym if it is too tight in those services. Uh, We want to be careful, but we also want you to be in person. We want you to be here with us so that we can be worshiping together. So... Remember, January 9th, 8.30, 9.45, 11 o'clock, and plan accordingly. We we want to be able to be evenly spaced um, throughout those services, and so um, we want you to think about, uh, you know, come at 8.30. If you're an early morning person, uh, we'd love for you to be there at 8.30. I love the early morning services, um, and I, I hope that a number of you come at 8.30 or come at 9.45 Come at 11. You're welcome at any of those three services. We'd love to see you there. Our kids ministry, youth ministry, at this point, the plan is to start back um, normally on Sunday nights on January the 9th, this coming Sunday. So to, today, as you're watching this, there's no Alana or youth tonight, but next Sunday, January 9th, there will be. And uh, keep, keep track of your email from Rika and AJ to hear any details or any changes with any of that. But for now, we're going to go into the Word together, and I pray that you would grab a physical copy of the Word of God right now and turn it to Luke chapter 15, because as we engage in Luke chapter 15, I'd also invite you to take a pen, a paper, a pencil, something so that you can take some notes. We're not going to put stuff on the screen for you, but I'm going to talk you through some things, and I really want us in the comfort of your own home. Don't go to sleep on your couch right now, okay? We want you to be comfortable. We want you to be at ease. But in the comfort of your own home, I I want you to be engaged with the Word of God. And so we're, we're going to really dig deep into what Jesus is saying to us about the heart of the Father and the pursuit of the shepherd. And so as we engage in these three important stories from Luke 15 together, I want you to be an active listener and engage. And I'm even going to give you some questions to do, discuss after the fact. So, so be ready, be an active listener this morning, okay? So let's pray, and then we'll dive into the Word of God together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and to gather around your Word, even when we're not in the same room, We are still united by your spirit and united by your word because we are people of the word. It is the word of God that calls us together as the church, that calls us to one body, that calls us to utilize different gifts and to to live out one mission for the glory of you and you alone. So as we learn about you today, as we dig deep in reflecting on the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus, the pursuit of the Spirit. Father, I pray that you would be here meeting with us, speaking to us, speaking through your word. Use me, Father, to bring to light the meaning of your great, beautiful gospel. And also, Father, we pray for the sick, for those that are still recovering from COVID, but also those um, uh, afflicted with other diseases and other issues right now. We pray for your healing, we pray for your presence, and we pray um, for your hope in each and every one of them, that you would restore the joy of life with you to those that are hurting, that you would heal those that are physically sick, and that you would encourage each of us with the unique hope that you bring. As we look over the course of 2022, Father, we pray your blessing over this year. We pray your blessing over each and every household, over each and every individual, and over our church, over this community. And we proclaim that you are our God, That in each of our individual homes, we will serve the Lord. And over this year ahead, we recommit now our church, our families, our houses, ourselves to you and to you alone. So, Father, make every place where somebody is gathered watching this video a holy outpost of your kingdom, where your kingdom work can be done, where your kingdom will come and your will will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Now speak to us, Holy Spirit, as we engage the Word of God. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 15 tells us the story of being lost. And if you've ever lost anything of great value or of great personal importance, you know the struggle. And I think we've all been there, where there's something that is of great value to us that we've lost. For me, One story I can tell you is about my wedding ring, because early on in our marriage, um, actually for a a lot of years, but only a few years of our marriage, I worked for Chick-fil-A. You guys have heard me talk about this before. I spent eight years of my life uh, working in kitchens at three different Chick-fil-A's. And so I worked my way up. I was I was on the management team at a couple different restaurants at different times. It's how I worked my way through college, worked my way through seminary. And um, Jess and I's first year of marriage, uh, I guess over the first year, I worked at a couple of different Chick-fil-A's. And as I was working in the kitchen one day, one of the things that you do in a commercial kitchen is you go through about 700 pairs of gloves each and every day especially when you're working with food. You're always putting gloves on, taking gloves off, putting gloves on, taking gloves off. And i reached this crisis moment towards the end of a shift one day where I knew I had been at Chick-fil-A for about seven hours and all of a sudden I looked down and I recognized there was no ring on my finger. And in your first year of marriage, this is a big deal. Now, it's a big deal at any point in your marriage, but early on, especially as a guy that's not accustomed to wearing a ring, the ring was always uncomfortable. But then when I took it off, when I accidentally took it off at work, I, I didn't notice. I, I didn't notice the fact that there was something that was not on my finger because I wasn't fully accustomed to having it on my finger at all times. And so I, I spent, I mean, I literally clocked out and spent a significant amount of time just going through trash bags at a restaurant, looking for my, my ring, just Going through bag after bag, going place after place, moving every bit of, of machinery and equipment in the kitchen out of the way so that I could find this lost ring because I knew how important it was. And, and I knew that I did not want to tell Jess in our first year of marriage, hey, you remember that ring that you gave me on our wedding day that actually belonged to her father before me that had great sentimental value you know, beyond just our marriage? I said, hey, yeah, I I lost that. Well, as it turns out, I'm still married. I still have a ring. So the story ends well, guys. I found it. Thank you so much for your concern um, from 13 years ago. But I did find the ring, and there was, no joke, rejoicing. And when I say there was rejoicing, I mean, like, the entire staff at Chick-fil-A. There was probably 12 people working at the time. It was later one evening And uh, everybody knew what was going on. And everybody knew that I wasn't doing my job because I was looking for my wedding ring. And everybody had helped in one way or another. But, of course, they still had to serve customers. And everybody celebrated when the ring was finally found. And so now you've experienced something like that, I'm sure. And that hopefully prepares you to engage now in Luke chapter 15, where we have three consecutive stories about the lost being found. There's a sheep, there's a coin, and there's a son. And each of these stories are very similar to each other, but they all have different emphases too. And so as we unpack them together, what we're going to see ultimately is just who God is. That's what this story is about. All three stories, what they are about centrally is God, God himself, Jesus, his son, and the spirit that moves in all of it. And so yeah, these stories are about us. They're about lost people. They're even, in one sense, about found people, too. But as these stories are about us, I want you to remember these stories are centrally, first and foremost, about God and God the Father. So as as we read through, I want you to be thinking about what this tells us about the nature and character of God the Father who loves us. Some have called this the heart of Luke's gospel here in Luke chapter 15. As we really see This is who Jesus is, and this is who God is. So Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So the setting here for the three stories, we just read that first story of the sheep, but I want to briefly talk about the setting here. All the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him. This is something significant and beautiful about Jesus. He drew lost people to him. Jesus was like a magnet, but Jesus was like a magnet for so many different things. Jesus was a magnet for those that were hurting. Jesus was a magnet for those that were sick that needed healed. Jesus was a magnet for those that were in sin. Jesus was a magnet for those that were rejected by society but Jesus was also a magnet for those who were in leadership positions that wanted to protect their authority, like the Pharisees. He was also a magnet for the forces of evil who wanted to destroy him and, and thwart his plans and stop him from the work of redemption that he had set out to do. But here we see the magnetic nature of Jesus on display with three different groups in this path, or four different groups, really. The, the tax collectors, the sinners... The Pharisees and the scribes were all there, are all a part of this story at one way or in one way or another. The tax collectors in the New Testament, I want you to think of tax collectors as legal sinners. Tax collectors are, are legalized, are the personification of legalized evil. Their swindling was state sponsored. Their cheating was protected by the military. That's why tax collectors are spoken of so poorly within the New Testament, within the Gospels in particular. That's why the Jews hated the tax collectors, because they were working for Rome to take money from Jews, and they could do whatever they wanted. They could cheat. They could make up their own numbers, and the military would protect them, and the Jews had no rights, no ability to question it. So this is institutionalized evil in the tax collectors. Sinners in Luke 15 probably refers to people that were openly known for their sinner for their sinful lifestyle. People that um were either uh, uh prostitutes would have been included in this, or um people that had uh, uh judicial legal backgrounds that had been caught uh stealing, people that were living on the street because they've been kicked out of families or, or whatever, people that rejected the Jewish law in whatever way, these people were just sort of generally categorized as sinners. So you have the two bad groups here, but then you have the two socially respectable groups and the Pharisees and the scribes. And the Pharisees and the scribes are really bothered by the way Jesus receives sinners to himself, to his table. In whatever home he's staying in, Jesus receives sinners to himself, eats with them, talks with them, teaches them. And this is really bothering the religious leaders of Jesus's day. So Jesus tells the story. And the first one is the story of the sheep. And, and as we unpack this, here, here's how we're going to unpack it. How we're going to unpack it. We're, we're going to look at the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And then we're going to look at the other lost son and ultimately the prodigal, the prodigal extravagant God. That, that's the, the point of the story in all of this is who God the Father is. But, but in these stories, you see different focuses in each one. And so for the lost sheep, the focus is on compassion. For the lost coin, the focus is on value. And, and for the lost son, the focus is on mercy. And as we unpack those, I want you to see too, what binds these stories together is the same thing that happened when I found my ring at Chick-fil-A that day. Celebration. There's a party in each and every one of these stories Every story ends in a party. And so you know these stories, most likely. You have some familiarity with the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and what we typically call the prodigal son or the lost son. But I want you to emphasize as you're looking at it today, I want you to mark in your Bible, I want you to write down this unifying theme of celebration when the lost are found. This is what happens in verse 7 at the end of the lost sheep story. Or in verse 6. When he comes home, meaning the shepherd, he calls together his friends and neighbors. It, it is so good. The news is so good that he doesn't want to celebrate alone. So he calls other people to himself to celebrate with him, saying, "Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner than over 99 that do not need to be that are righteous and need no repentance. And so look at this story. The story isn't so much. Now, now the Bible does talk about us being compared to sheep, but this story is not so much about us being sheep. We are the sheep in the story. Lost people are sheep, and Isaiah 53 says that. But the heart of the story is not about the sheep that is wandering. The heart of the story is about the pursuing shepherd, And look what the pursuing shepherd does for the aimless wanderer, the sheep. He takes the sheep and he puts it on his shoulders. And what Jesus is telling us, when Jesus, who already who identifies himself elsewhere as the good shepherd, and so we know who the shepherd is. The story is about the shepherd, and Jesus is the shepherd. Okay? And Jesus, the shepherd, lifts the lost sheep onto his back, onto his shoulders. And what he does. Is, is he shows us the gospel. He takes the burden from the lost sheep and he puts it on himself and he carries the burden of the lost until he brings the lost all the way home. That's the message of the good shepherd and the lost sheep. And so that's what Jesus did for us. When we were lost, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Surely he has borne our grief. Surely he has carried our sorrows. He took our burdens upon himself so that we could be brought home into his family, into sonship, into the status of being called children of his own father. Joint heirs with him, the Bible tells us. And so in all of this, we see Jesus is the pursuing shepherd. And Jesus doesn't look at the 99 and say, well, you know, I only lost 1%. I guess I'm good. I still got 99 healthy sheep. I'm just going to emphasize these 99 and take good care of them. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is a pursuer of the lost. Jesus goes after the lost. Jesus, listen, Jesus initiates our salvation and Jesus completes our salvation. That's important. It's an important aspect of of the gospel. The gospel is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, his initiating work, his pursuit of us, that he didn't ask us to climb up a mountain to get to him. He asked us to wait so that he could come down the mountain to become a child, to become a man, so that he could bear our sins and bear our sorrows, lift our burden onto his shoulders and carry us home, carry us up the mountain into salvation with God. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the good shepherd and the lost sheep. And heaven is the scene of the party. So you have the shepherd in the story throws a party with his friends. And Jesus is saying the real party happens when one sinner repents. Let me ask you this. Do you remember what it was like to be that lost sheep? See, the sheep is a little bit different than the lost son, who we'll talk about in a minute. The sheep represents the aimless wanderer that needs to be pursued by God. The aimless wanderer that's not going to find God on his own. And and it's a good reminder for us. None of us is wise enough. None of us is smart enough. None of us is educated enough to find God on our own if God does not pursue us. And that's what Jesus does. Do you remember what it's like to be that lost sheep? that just wanders away, that wanders off. And then one day, Jesus, he met you. You discovered him, and he picked you up, and he brought you home to the Father. This is the story of compassion for the lost. He doesn't just rest in the 99. He shows compassion for the one and compassionate pursuit of the aimless wanderer. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell another story to emphasize another aspect of his character and who God the Father is. Verse eight, what woman, having lost 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God Over one sinner who repents. Every time I read this story now, I think of being in Burkina Faso, 2014, and what we did is we went into these villages where there's no electricity, no running water. There's a little, there's some devices that are powered by solar power, that, that sort of thing. But for the most part, these were people that had almost no technology that they lived with each and every day. And so we went into these uh, rural villages and we took a flannel graph. Yes, in 2014, we found a flannel graph and we told stories from the Bible with a flannel graph. But also, we acted out the stories. And y'all, this was one of the funnest experiences of my life because number one, John Joyce speaking for Fool Day is super fun. I, and I, I mean, it, I don't have any idea what he's doing, but he gets so into it and so animated. And here I am, speaking English and he's translating for me and everybody's like laughing at him and and having a great time because he's really engaging. And I realized when I'm being translated and nobody over there knows what I'm saying anyway, I'm just kind of me. So I'm literally just talking regularly. John is carrying the whole thing, but there were a couple of exceptions to John carrying the whole thing. And one was this story right here. Um, Sarah Miller, who's now Sarah Vasquez, um, She was in high school at the time, and and many of you know her. She's one of Dwayne and Wendy's um, daughters. Sarah was fabulous, and Sarah brought the house down with this story of the lost coin. Because as I was telling the story, and John was translating, Sarah played the part of the woman that had lost a coin. And as she loses a coin, I, I mean, picture this. You have kids. All around. I mean, these villages are full of children and they were so excited to hear the stories that we had come to tell. And and we did games and we gave some candy. And so, you know, there were other things going on, but they really were so engaged in these stories. And Sarah goes all around looking for this coin and she has this like panic on her face and she sold it so well as she's literally picking up children And these children are, are loving it. They're, they're giggling. They're, they're losing their minds because this, this girl is running all around the circle, all around in circles, um, picking up these mats, picking up these furniture, looking behind trees, looking up in trees to show the desperation of the woman that lost a coin. And it just reminds me as I think of that story and as I think of this story that, that Jesus tells stories in an ancient context that we can still appreciate in 2021, United States of America, wait, it's 2022, in 2022, United States of America, but also in in a primitive village in Burkina Faso as well. And, it, and it's a beautiful thing when you really think about how transferable these stories are. Sometimes it feels like when you're reading the Bible, it feels like there's this this time gap of this is something that was written two thousand years ago, or in the Old Testament, this is something that was written four or five thousand years ago. I don't understand it. There's this huge cultural gap. There's this huge time gap. But some of these stories, they just connect, and the story of the lost coin connects. Because whether it's a a high school girl telling the story um, to to a village in Burkina Faso, or whether it's me losing a ring at a Chick-fil-A restaurant, it's a transferable story. And that's so much of the beauty of Scripture. And I hope you see that. I hope that as we read this story from Luke chapter 15, you see and you embrace the desperation of the woman who has lost something of great value. See, the shepherd... And the lost sheep is a story about compassion, that he does not want one sheep to stray, one sheep to, to suffer. But the value of one sheep in comparison to 99 is not significant. But the way Jesus tells his story, this one coin is significant to this woman because it is one tenth of everything that she owns. Now, we know that this woman is not necessarily, um, <clears throat> is not necessarily a wealthy woman. She has 10 silver coins which are essentially uh one coin one denarius is the equivalent of one day's labor. So it's it's like she's got 2 weeks, okay, 10 days, she's got 2 weeks of payment for daily for daily labor. That's how much she owns. That's all of her savings. And so she's not wealthy. She has just enough to survive, but she loses one of those coins. And that's important. That's highly valuable. Now, the story for us in understanding God's pursuit of the lost, we need to recognize that even if one day's wages may not seem like a lot, the story communicates that there is no lost person that is not of value to God. That it doesn't matter how worthless you think you are or how worthless you think somebody else is, that person has incredible worth to God because God created human beings in His image, and, and there's no human beings that he did not create in his image. And therefore, there's no human beings that do not have inherent value in being an image bearer of God, but also worth to Jesus in redemption. Jesus does not want anyone to perish. And so he came and he died. And the offer of salvation is is there for all to receive. So Jesus seeks out and pursues. And Jesus does not save everyone. We know some reject Jesus, some reject God and are therefore condemned to hell. We know that the the Bible is clear in that. But, But we know also that the offer of salvation is for every nation, tongue, and tribe. Everyone is valuable to Jesus. And so therefore, what I want us to see out of this is I want us to see the value in every person you will ever meet every person you will ever lock eyes with, every person you'll ever drive by on the road, including that person that's a terrible driver that you kind of hate a little bit in your heart. Everyone, every single one of us is encountered every day with people that are lost, that are created in the image of God, that have eternal worth and value to our King and Creator. So what are we going to do about it? How, How do we live in response to that? The shepherd shows compassion. The woman shows that God has great value in the lost. No one is worth so little as to be worthless to God. But there's celebration in here too. In verse 9, when she's found it, she again calls a party together among her friends and neighbors so that she can celebrate, look, I found my lost coin. And again, Jesus says, so is the celebration in heaven when the lost are found. Okay, there's one more story. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons, and both are important. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So he divided his property between them. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And again, they began to celebrate. So three stories, three lost things. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and now a lost son. Each are a little bit different. See, the, the shepherd is, is pursuing the aimless wanderer. The woman is pursuing the lost coin. The father is waiting for the return of a rebellious runner. The son is not aimless like the sheep, just passively wandering around. The son is not lost through no work of his own like the coin. The son is contributing to his own lostness in his rebellion and rejection of the father. The son runs away. This is a different story, that the story has escalated, that it's not just that we were wandering around aimlessly. It's not just that we were a lost, the thing about the coin, the, the coin can't do anything about its lostness. It didn't contribute to its lostness and it can't fix its lostness. It needs somebody else to fix its lostness. And so we're like that coin. We're like the sheep wandering around aimlessly. We're like the coin. We can't do anything to fix ourselves, to fix our own lostness, but we're also guys, we're like the sun that makes a conscious decision to rebel, to run and to reject. Why was the sun in such a hurry to get his inheritance? recognize this. What he says to the father is is basically saying, Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. I I wish you were dead already. So can you just give me my inheritance now? Think about, as a father, the level of rejection that that means. It's not just about the money. It's a complete rejection of the family. What the son is saying is, I don't want anything relating to the status of the family, the membership of the family, the, the, the relationships of the family. I don't want that. I just want the money. So can I have the money now? And the father makes this incredibly controversial decision to honor the son's request and go ahead and give him the money. And you think, well, why, why would he do that? But the father seems to know something, seems to see something. And in desperation, he says, this is my son whom I love. And I know that he's going to go and squander this. But maybe, just maybe, that's the best thing that could happen. So, what does he do? He gives it to him. He divides the inheritance. And this is important to this. He divides the inheritance and gives the son half. And he keeps half along with the older brother. So, basically, out of the money that the two boys are meant to inherit. The older brother already has his half too, but he has his half with his father living with him. That's important at the end of the story. Why was the son in such a hurry? Well, he wanted his own control. He wanted his own comforts. He didn't want anybody to tell him what to do. He wanted his freedom. And he also did not want his father. And that's so significant. It's so powerful to see how the story ends when you recognize the level of rejection from the son. From the son the sun follows this path that, that Solomon had laid out. And we spent a, a lot of last year looking at the book of Ecclesiastes and looking at the search for meaning that the preacher, which is likely Solomon, goes on throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. In that book, and I'd invite you to go back and listen to those sermons again, it, it's such a relevant modern book because it's all about searching for meaning in life. And Solomon pursues wealth. He pursues pleasure and, and physical pleasures through sex. He pursues work and and trying to, trying to make a name for, for himself through great accomplishments, construction projects. He pursues wisdom and and education. And in all of these things, everything that he pursues, he ends up empty. Well, the prodigal son follows a similar path to find purpose and meaning in life, but he really emphasizes just one aspect of Solomon's pursuit, and that is the pursuit of pleasure. He goes, and he goes into a far country, so this is important as if in a second. He leaves Israel, okay? He, he travels to another country, and he squandered his property in reckless living. And then he spent everything. And what did he have to do? He sold himself. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He became an indentured servant essentially, when he had nothing, and he came and he hired himself to a citizen of that country. This is a Jew connecting himself through an indentured servanthood to a non-Jew, and the result. Uh, this is already shocking to his Jewish hearers, and they don't. Need, and it, before Jesus even tells what his ultimate task is, it's already shocking. For a Jew to be bonded to a a non-Jew in such a relationship. But then it gets worse. Verse 15, he was sent into the field to feed pigs. And it gets worse than that. Pigs would be offensive to the Jewish audience. The Pharisees and the scribes especially. But then he says, actually, the pigs were eating better than him. And the son wished that he had the food that the pigs had. This is an incredible story. It's amazing to really think about the offensiveness of this. This is a son who has rejected and he gets what he deserves. But with everything that he forgot, everything that he forgot about the relationship with his father, he did not forget who his father was and the kindness of his father. So he came to himself. My father has hired servants that have far more than I do. But here I am perishing in hunger. And he says, well, maybe, just maybe, my father will show mercy. It's worth a shot. Let's go. And so here in this story, we see mercy for the rebellious runner. And there is celebration at the end. But this story is different because this story is not about the father pursuing the son. It's about the father looking and waiting for the son. But, but notice And so you you see a distinction there. But notice what happens. As soon as the son gets close, then the father pursues. The father's waiting. The father's watching. The father had never given up. And and when when Jesus tells the story of of the father watching, we get this sense of an active watching prepared for his son to come back as if he is expecting his son to come back at any time. And then when he sees his son far off, he runs to him, he hugs him, he kisses him, and it's party time again. All three stories, again, end in a celebration. And so we see that that God, the Father, is pursuing the lost sheep, the aimless wanderer. God is pursuing the lost coin that can't do anything about its own lostness. And God is waiting and pursuing the, the rebellious runner to show mercy, compassion, value, and mercy. The emphases of the three stories. But there's another son. Verse 25. Now his older son, the father's older son, was also in the field. As he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your father has come. Or, or He said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, but yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But with this son of yours, not my brother, with this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So we've talked about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, but here's the other lost son, and this son is lost in a different way. The older brother didn't lose his status in the family. He didn't lose his membership in the family, but he did lose his way within the family. He didn't know who his father was. He rejected who his brother had become, and he decided he didn't want to be a part of the way of the family. Uh, imagine how this story could have been different if the younger son was greeted in a different order. What if, what if the father wasn't the first to greet the youngest son? Have you ever thought about this story that way? What if the younger son was coming down the road and he saw his older brother working in the field? What if the older brother got there first? and the son where the father wasn't watching the father was off inside the home in some way and the older brother greets the son or greets the younger brother along the road and the older brother looks at the younger brother and says what do you think you're doing here who do you think you are I, obviously they had heard stories about what the younger brother was doing because the older brother at the end says he wasted your money on prostitutes so he knows that because he's heard stories. Somehow word has gotten back to the older brother and to the father about what the younger brother has been doing. And so what if along the road it was the, it was the older brother who got there first and said, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? You rejected our father. You rejected our family. You left. There's no place for you here. You've squandered half of the family property. Go away. You're not welcome here. See, older brothers like that can do a lot of damage to younger brothers, to lost wanderers, to lost rebellious sheep. But the father got there first. I I asked you to think earlier, do you remember what it's like to be a lost sheep? Well, do you remember what it's like to be a lost son, to be actively engaging in your sin and, and rebelling against God? But the other question that may be more practical for where many of us are right now, because here's the thing, uh, once you have been saved, you are saved. Once you have been found, you are found. And so if you're not found, what you need to do right now is make sure you understand that you are found as either a sheep, a coin, or a son by the work of Jesus and the sacrifice that he paid on the cross for your sins. And what you need to do now is repent. Repent of your sin, receive Jesus, and there will be a party in heaven. That's the message of this passage for you. The message of the passage for the rest of us is: we want to be involved in helping the lost get found. We want to be passionate, to be Jesus's under shepherds, to go pursue the sheep on His behalf, to seek out the lost coins on His behalf, to welcome home the lost sons. And we want to be careful that we never become the older brother. Because the danger for us that are already a part of the family is not to become lost again, but to become the judgmental older brother that isn't eager to see the lost found, that would rather see the lost get justice, that would rather see them experience the consequences of their sin and their behavior. How does an older brother get that way? How does a Christian get to the point of being so judgmental that they've lost their their sense of the gospel? How does one that is saved by the gospel lose the beauty of the gospel and live contrary to the gospel? Because that's who the older brother is in this story. A A believer who is a part of the family, who has been welcomed into the family, and at least in that moment, doesn't get it anymore. Doesn't receive the doesn't live the gospel for the sake of others but rather lives judgment what's because the older brother was forgiven of much sin himself too he was once rebellious he was once lost but god saved him the father redeemed him and it's really easy for us when we've been miraculously saved by god to then give ourselves some credit and that goes against the gospel What sin, what temptation were you once struggling with that God has given you victory over? Now, if you were struggling with a certain sin or an addiction, and God rescued you from that addiction, you should then have compassion for those that are currently struggling in that same addiction. But oftentimes, we then look and we say, well, I figured it out. I got myself out of that mess. Why can't you? And we forget the fact that it wasn't us. It wasn't us that got ourselves out of that mess. It was God, the Father, who rescued us, redeemed us, and brought us home. So I ask again, do you remember what it was like to be the lost son? And and, and guys, I want you to write down these questions. I want you to discuss them with somebody afterwards. Have you ever experienced an older brother? And have you ever been an older brother? And by that, I mean the Christian who is so impatient with the sin of somebody else that they're not fully, you're not fully sure you want that person to be saved. You'd rather them experience some consequences. You're not sure you're ready for them to receive the extravagant, abundant love of God. You know, this story is often called the prodigal son. And the word prodigal means extravagant, excessive, But really, the extravagant one in the story is the father, is God himself. Because the son, the older son, accuses the father of being reckless, of being wasteful, of being extravagant. Why? Because that is his calf, not the father's. It's the son's. Because remember, he divided the property between older and younger son. Younger son took half of it away older son kept living off of the other half with the father. And so now what the father is giving to the younger son belongs to the older son. It is what is promised to him. He already got his, but the father is extravagant, excessive, and in the mind of the older brother, a little bit reckless in the way he loves, he pursues, and he welcomes home. Guys, we want to see a lot of these type of parties and we want to be stunned by the extravagant, excessive love of God that rescues sinners home. And if you've ever lost something and experienced the joy of what it means to find it, you know, you know a little bit about what that means. Guys, I told a story about a wedding wing that's kind of kind of an old story that, that in the moment was, was so emotional and impactful, but I've got a better one for you. A couple years ago, we lost Eden. And when I say we lost Eden, I mean the panic, the emotion of having, there were a lot of people at my house. My, my parents were at my house, my sister, my brother and his family. And we lost Eden and my nephew Caleb in the same moment. The kids were playing hide and go seek in our house, in my house. And all of a sudden, the, and, you know, the doors were open. Kids were going inside, outside. We have a big house, a big yard. We have a the house is spread out. We have lots of places to go, right? And all of a sudden, we couldn't find Eden and Caleb. And they were hiding somewhere. And we knew they were hiding, but then we couldn't find them. And we called, and we called, and we called. And it went from, oh, they're hiding, we'll find them, to... They're not here, they're not here, they're not here, they're not here, and we are screaming. I mean like seven adults screaming at the tops of our lungs. Me, outside, walking down the street, wondering, could a car, I mean this is what, this is the story that that I had told myself in my head. That they were outside in the front yard, a car pulled up and grabbed them out of the front yard and took them away and we missed the whole thing. That was the emotion that we were experiencing. And they were hiding in a bedroom the whole time. And they had thought it was funny at first. And then they heard the concern in our voices. And as they heard the concern in the adults' voices, they were scared and they didn't want to get in trouble. So they kept hiding and they didn't come out. And when we found them, we weren't mad. It wasn't anger. They weren't in trouble. It was rejoicing, it was a party and there was a lot of people in the house and there was a lot of hugs and a lot of celebration because those two precious lives were lost and we imagined the worst, but they were found. Some of you are praying for lost sons and daughters to come home and so as we close today, let's pray that prayer and let's all commit together to be part going out and seeking the lost for the sake of the glory of the King of Kings. So first, before we pray, let's sing together and then we'll close in prayer for the lost and for
1: I spoke a word You were singing your fo- Shadow, you won't light up, mountain, you won't climb up. Coming after me, snow wall, you won't kick down, lie, you won't tear down. Coming after me, snow no show- shadow.
0: Father, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word together. And we know there are many families engaging in this video this morning that have lost sons and daughters or lost parents, lost siblings, lost friends that need to be found. Father, we pray you would do the pursuing work. Jesus, by your spirit, bring them home. Bring them home and into right relationship with you. We pray for those watching this video today that do not have, that have not been brought home themselves. Father, change somebody's heart this morning. Give them the hope of the gospel. May they receive you for life and salvation right now. And if you're listening you've never repented of your sins, repent of your sins now receive the gift of life that comes from Jesus as he comes and he saves you and he fills you and let the spirit renew you into newness of life as your faith becomes sight in him and you receive the grace that only he can give and father now call us each of us to the ministry of the gospel because you came to seek and to save that which was lost father use us in that endeavor. Use us to go into all the nations and to make disciples, to bring glory to you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now receive the blessing from God above. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you.
1: The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.